Good day once again and welcome back to the podcast. Today is Wednesday, 8th of January, 1947. Happy New Year. The last we heard from Bet, she was preparing for her first ever New Year's party and had got news that she would shortly be leaving for home. Well, in today's letter, we get to hear about the beginning of her journey, her long journey as it turns out, back towards Shanghai. We also get the impression that she is well and truly ready to come home. Meanwhile, in Sydney, her hometown, front page news, England wins the battle for a draw in the third test. Needless to say, in early January, cricket features highly in the minds of Sydney-siders. But of course, there are continuing disputes, disputes in the meat industry, mining and shipping. Meanwhile, as Bet writes to us from Nanking, in the same city today, General George C. Marshall, President Truman's peace envoy, has decided to call it quits and departed today for the United States. Yesterday, he issued a scathing opinion of both sides, nationalists and communists, criticising their extremist positions and intransigence. It seems that hope for a peaceful resolution is all but lost. In Sydney, the city forecast, fine, mild to warm day, cool night, moderate southerly winds becoming nor'easterly in the afternoon. Seas are moderate. This time, as we throw to bet, it's not in Nanchang, but rather in Nanking. Mrs. Betty Suter, care of Unra, Shanghai. Dear Daddy, I may not even post this letter, but bring it with me. My new diary hadn't arrived before I left Nanchang, and I keep forgetting to get a little notebook. So this writing pad can be an acting diary for me. It's so easy to forget interesting little things when so much is happening to and around me. New Year's Eve was a hectic day and night. It's the first time I've ever been to a New Year party and one that I'll always remember. But first the day. A frenzy of packing to start with punctuated by the usual requests from all personnel wanting little favours done in Shanghai. Cyril then acted driver for me and took me on my last Nanchang shopping expedition. I collected a few items, of course, making my luggage problem just that much more difficult. And then a rush to the office to give some final gifts of cigarettes to the Chinese staff and collect the last of my travel papers and funds. At 12 noon, I managed to reach the Y, where the captain of Nanchang field team gave a party in honour of Mary S. and myself. Wonderful Chinese chow, but the usual excessive quantity, and about 14 inevitable gangbays. Party over soon after two, and after a formal group photo, back to the hostel for an hour in which to give my gifts, tips, etc. to the servants. Once more downtown with MS and more luggage collected, back to the house in time to get dressed for the three impending parties. Sorry, four. 
1. The boss invited us to his suite for drinks at 5.15. His girlfriend had come over from Changsha for the holidays and she made a charming hostess. She had made an excellent job of decorations, red Chinese lanterns, red candles, greenery, etc. 2. We moved off at 6 for a special New Year dinner at Sunra and there must have been about 150 guests. Chinese dinner, much gambay, and all of a sudden found myself the toast of the evening. It was not because of my departure so much, but because the director of Sunra had heard it rumoured that I was going back home to marry Hank. They all know Hank, and I was quite overwhelmed at the sudden torrent of speeches, applause, toasts, etc. Frankly, I was dumbfounded. And Marge, who was having her first outing since illness, sitting beside me, just laughed and laughed and laughed at me. She said I really was goggle-eyed. Mr. Tsai then presented me with a lovely embroidered bedspread and showered me with remarks even more flattering than usual. I always knew he had a bit of a crush on me. 3. By the time we moved on to the dancing party at the Bank of China, we were all in high spirits, and I was wafting along in my amazement. A lovely floor, not very good music, and I had a problem of a swift decision on relating face and priorities when suddenly surrounded on arrival by masses of Chinese faces. Fortunately, I detected the host easily. Next was Mr. Sai, and from then on, I hoped for the best. John the Brazilian was a great relief every so often with his perfect dancing. Oh my goodness, what a whirl. Four, at about 11.20pm, we left that party and went home to the hostel where Joan Curtis and Horace Trousen had organised the seeing-in of the new year. Our wireless proved amenable and our party went with a swing. Some of our Chinese friends had come along too. So it was really super. Yes, lots of fun and excitement. But in spite of it all, I was just thinking and thinking about you all and home and pointy. Yes, and Hank too. I didn't even try to finish my packing after all that. At about 3.30am, I flopped into my little Nanchang bed for the last time. Marge, of course, had not been through all this, but she did quite well, and I was so happy she was well enough to be in on some of it. Up at about 6.30 to finish the luggage and get stacked in the carrier. What a rush. I wore my ski suit for my going away and was greeted with oohs and ahs. It has been a godsend, and I expect to live in it till I get to Shanghai. Most of the house, in spite of the revelry of the night before, staggered out to have breakfast with us and see us off. It was actually about 10am before we moved off. MS and I were in the hands of Kay, and there could be no better hands, and our only other passengers in the carrier were Kung and number one laundry boy who asked for leave to come to Chang for the day or two that Kay remains here with us. We seemed to have an awful lot of luggage, but it got stacked in somehow. I was a little hurt that neither the boss or Leo had any words of farewell, 
nor even came out to wave goodbye. But that's life, I suppose. Marge was a pillar of strength, despite her weakness, in the last frenzied rush. I'm so fond of her, and I'm going to miss her a great deal. I think she'll miss me, too, a lot. The ride to Chang was amazingly comfortable. I even slept part of the way. It took us nearly six hours. Had to be slow because of the heavy load and the need to take care of the springs. We didn't stop for lunch, but had a can of toddy and some biscuits and cheese while crossing the ferry. On arrival here in Chang, we went straight to Sunra to find out the shipping situation. Lee had slipped up and not given proper notice. Therefore, we could not get on the China ship that was in port. I was offered a berth in a two-berth cabin with a Chinese woman, but there was no room for MS, no other foreigners on board, and I therefore declined. We parked ourselves at this hotel, cooling hotel, which is not too bad, and waited developments. I take no chances with bugs anymore, and I am carrying a stretcher and plenty of blankets. This room is well furnished for a Chinese hotel, but cold as charity. A small charcoal fire in the middle of the room, awfully bad for one, of course, but the only warmth available. On January 1st, then, I spent my day on the road, shopping for a while here at night after Chinese chow in a not-too-bad restaurant and sleeping like a bag in six rugs and a bedroll in Kulin Hotel, Chang. Second of January, I slept late, realising that my bunk was the warmest available spot. Kay then took MS and I out to the same restaurant for Chow before proceeding to the shipping office in Sunra. There's a small ship in and we can get a cabin. The ship is bound for Nanking. It will then go on, after a few days, to Shanghai. We can stay with it or do the last lap by train. We'll decide when we reach Nanking. During the afternoon, we went out to see the progress of a dike and sluice gate, the construction of which is purely and simply a racket and a gross misuse of Sunra money. But I'll save that story. Came back to the waterfront to look at our ship, which was midstream, and decided to take a chance on it. At 6pm, a Chinese dinner in our honour at Sunra office. And what a party it turned out to be. I think we were just an excuse for the party, because our hosts certainly let themselves go and had a wonderful time amongst themselves. We enjoyed it. It's always interesting, though often revolting. Plenty of gangbei again, but I'm well acclimatised to Chinese wines and know the little tricks of spilling some on the cloth and some more in the soy sauce, etc. Very glad to climb into the bedroll at about 9.30pm. 3rd of January. Today we expect to board the good ship, Haiyun. It's now about 9.30am and in about one hour's time, the Sunra boy will come here with tickets and take us on board. The ship is loading cargo and may not leave till tomorrow, but if it's reasonably clean and comfortable, we shall stay on her tonight. All of this planning must sound very vague to you. It is vague, quite contrary to my nature. 
I think you will say, but there's nothing one can do about it. Out of my window this morning, I witnessed a sight that I will not forget. Better that I should not write it. It was the disgraceful dismissal of a policeman from the Chinese police force. It made me wonder whether the Chinese know what this last war was fought for. I'm sure I was not meant to see what happened. It was quite horrible. Well, I think I'll put this aside for now. Add the news as it develops. 4th of January, on board SS Haiyun. Yes, we've made it. And are steaming down the river to Nanking. Fortunately, the ship had to come alongside yesterday afternoon at Kyu Chang, so we had no trouble at all in getting aboard. Kay saw us to our cabin. After getting all luggage on, we saw Kay on his way back to Nanchang, visited the Methodist mission to say goodbye, did some more shopping, and then returned to the ship. River ships still anchor at night, both because of bandits and because of complete absence of shore lights, and so we spent the night at Kyu Chang Wharf. Our cabin has three bunks in it, but we will have it all to ourselves, thanks to a charming and benevolent-looking old Chinese skipper. How we could stand or sit in here with a third bunk up, I honestly do not know. The cabin is no more than eight foot by five foot, I'm sure, but we are well organised into it, and the journey will not be unbearable. Unfortunately, it is cold and bleak and trying to rain, and there is no lounge or unoccupied dry deck space. We are quite confined to our cabin. I don't know what the financial arrangements are, but the spare room in the hold and most of the decks are occupied by poor-looking Chinese passengers. One fellow is taking fish to Nanking, and the smell from his corner of the deck is worse than awful. As I passed the opening into the hold, I heard a cock crowing. So they must have some livestock down there somewhere too. I mean, in addition to themselves and their parasites. We bought 22 pieces of luggage on board, to the great consternation of the purser. But included amongst that mass were bedrolls, cots, wash basins and rations. So far, we have not eaten the ship's food, but will face it at tiffin time today. We are using our 10-in-1 box up at this stage. Yes, of course we all use our own bedding. I learnt my lesson eight months ago. No more time to report now, to be continued. 5th of January. Last night, we reached Ann King soon after 5.30pm and anchored there for the night midstream. There were four other ships tied there for the night, all heading upstream. At the skipper's special and persistent request, M.S. and I went up to the saloon for dinner. The cook, the boys and the captain had all gone to special efforts for us and we ate a whopping big dinner, western style. Soup, hamburger steak with carrots, cabbage and chipped potatoes, tinned apricots, cupcakes and coffee. Nice, clean, western table silver. Altogether, surprising and very welcome. Skipper, purser, 
Chief and Sparks, were all at the other end of the table having Chinese chow, and all of them spoke English, so there was plenty of conversation. After dinner, we went to the bridge and listened to a U.S. musical program for a while. To bed at 9 p.m., and slept most comfortably and soundly to the sounds of the clock. This morning, we declined breakfast, and just as well, too, in view of the midday meal we've just eaten. They are certainly doing their very best for us. We left Anking somewhere between 6 and 7 this morning, and have been steaming along steadily all day. We expect to reach Woohoo at about 6.30pm, and we'll go ashore for a while. We'll look up Unra there and especially we'll renew acquaintances, particularly with Tony Drail and Tiny Gulbranson. The skipper plans to leave Woohoo at 4 or 5am tomorrow and we should get to Nanking by noon. We will probably stay over at Nanking for two or three days and then another two days will get us to Shanghai. Must do my face now prior to going onto the bridge for music and coffee. Signing off. January 8. Oh my goodness, how the time has passed. And now here I am, stranded in Nanking, but making the most of every minute of it. Yes, we went ashore at Woohoo and after several false moves, found our way to Unra Hostel and got Bill Gannon, Tony Drell and Phil Davenport out of bed. They seemed really pleased to see me and were undoubtedly surprised. It was a filthy wet night, masses of mud, but I was so glad we braved the elements. Phil drove us back to the ship and saw us safely aboard. The next day we got here, about 2pm, just as wet and dirty, and no one to meet us. We each packed one small piece of luggage and came in search of bed and bath. And here we have been in Fu Chong building ever since. There's some question now as to whether the ship will go to Shanghai or not. We may have to pull our luggage off tomorrow and go by train. What a journey this is proving to be. Whilst here, though, I'm having a gay time. Never a dull moment remains my password. I have been shopping, dining, whining, slumming and visiting the famous sites. And yes... The snow fell yesterday. I actually saw it falling. Unfortunately, it was only very light. This morning, though, the rooftops were white, to my great delight. I've collected a cold in the nose, which is boo-how. I'm dosing it up well. So much for now. One of my Nanking escorts has come to take me to supper. Did I say never a dull moment? Production credits for this episode... Produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune this episode from 1947, the Whiffenpoof song, performed by Bing Crosby with Fred Waring and the Glee Club. Down at Maury's to the place where Louis dwells, to the dear old temple bar we love so well. Sing the whiff and poofs assembled with their glasses raised on high.
and the magic of their singing cast its spell. Yes, the magic of their singing, of the songs we love so well, shall I wasting and mavorning and the rest. We will serenade our Louis while life and voice shall last. Then we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. We're poor little lambs who have lost our Oh. 